Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for life and leadership in Christ. If we haven't met yet, my name is Tony, and I am your host. And I care deeply and passionately about helping you connect with Jesus as a Christian leader. I work with leaders all over Ohio and the U.S., living fully integrated lives, lives of integrity, where they're the same person on Sunday as they are on Monday. Today's author that I'm so excited to share with you, and I say author very seriously, is Amy Beckley. Amy is someone who loves to write, and you can see it in her words. It's not very often that I find somebody who really is just joyful about writing, who strives to be the best writer she can be. Most often, I deal with leaders who write to share a message, but I'm telling you, this is just a guess, but Amy would write no matter what, because she loves to write, and that's a beautiful gift. Her latest book, This Homeward Ache, talks about grief. It talks about fully feeling. It's all about, um, you know, telling the truth and as beautifully as you can. I think you're really going to enjoy her heart, her words, and her soul. So now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Amy Beck Lee. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited today to have author and uh, writer and poet Amy Beck Lee. Amy, thank you so much for being here today. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on. Well, one of the things I always love to start with is kind of a macro perspective of the work that you do. And so I'm kind of curious, how would you describe the calling that God has placed on your life? Yeah, um, I think my calling, as best as I can discern it for now, is to tell stories that help people trace the longing that they carry back to God and to find out how good he is. That's beautifully stated. When did you realize that you wanted to be a a storyteller? There's a great story in the book about you wanting to make your audience cry, or or maybe that was on Instagram where I read it. Uh, How long back ago did you realize that, like, I want to be a storyteller? Yeah. um, I think I started telling the stories before I realized that that was something I wanted to keep doing and to do well. So I can't really remember a time when I wasn't making up stories or pretending in play or jotting things down about it, really. Do you think that there was a a time in your life where people pushed you away from that? I know this kind of um, soft skills isn't always welcomed. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious about how you nurtured and developed that gift inside of you. Yeah. um, I think I I always appreciated stories. So I loved books and I loved, you know, movies and even songs that told stories. I think when I first became a Christian, which was around the age of 10 or 11 um, in Korea, the books that I started reading around that time were mostly nonfiction and themed around a certain topic. And I don't think anybody took me aside and, and told me that, you know, this is the main way that you can communicate a message to people. But I think I labored under the impression or the delusion for a few years that uh, in order to be an effective Christian communicator, you had to have like bullet points and uh, and more of an outline than a narrative with what you were telling. So 
I don't know that that was anybody actively pushing me away from telling stories, but I, it's really been in the past five, ten years that I've come into communities where I have begun to so appreciate other people's stories that it's encouraged me to tell mine. So uh, that has been deeply heartening. How do you know when a story is ready to be told from your life? Hmm. Probably the simplest answer is if it, uh, if I feel like I am not living in the grief of it while I'm trying mm. to tell it. Um, I guess I don't know if that points to me being melancholy more than anything because I feel like the stories that I have to tell are the are the hard ones. But um, usually, when I've gotten a bit of distance from the story and I can see some of what the Lord has brought about through it then I think I feel a little bit more ready to start telling it. What does it look like for you to discern God's voice in the midst of, of your writing? And cause it, you know, you're very open about your faith in the book and um, I'm kind of just curious how you, how do you know if it's from God or just from Amy? Yeah. Oh, these are such good questions, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah. They're making me think. Um, well, I can tell you, maybe the clearest example I have is the whole process of writing this book. It was really an idea that just wouldn't let me go. Um, it became one of those experiences where I felt like I had the seed of an idea, and then it found somebody to serve, or I could uh, have a pretty clear view of who the reader was going to be. And then everything that I saw, not everything, but so many things that I saw and heard kind of fed into shaping more and more of the idea. So it grew like a snowball as it went. Um, and so every step of this journey, especially with this book, um, I kept feeling like he was asking me to take the next step in obedience and not know what the next, what the outcome of that step was going to be. So it was write the outline for the book. Don't know where it's going to go. Okay. Try to pitch the proposal to an agent. Don't know if that's going to get accepted. The agent pitches the proposal to publishing houses. Don't know if any of the publishing houses are going to accept it, but uh, it felt more like an adventure that way, which I'm grateful for. And mm. it didn't feel like the outcome was riding on me. And it really did feel like it was just something that he was asking me to do one step at a time, whether or not the end result would be something that I envisioned from the beginning. So I've been grateful for that. And I think probably all the other smaller writing projects I've done kind of boil down to that too if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. And I, I really like the way you kind of dial in on adventure because it, it feels like your childhood is full of adventure. Oh. Uh, well, in just a sense of like you lived in Korea for a while, it seemed like yeah. you, and I'm, I'm kind of piecing it all together through your writing, but did, did you move a lot as a child? And, and if so, how did, how was the Korea to the U.S. and all these different parts of your life? What was that like? Yeah, well, I I have since met, um, you know, a lot of army brats and a lot of uh, people who have moved for other reasons. So when I look at them, I think, oh, wow, like, I, I feel like my life is not, it was not that hard, the upheaval. But um, for me, I grew up in, I was born in Virginia, moved to North Carolina when I was five or six. And then we moved from North Carolina to Korea when I was uh, just about to turn 11, I think. And then moved back to Virginia for 12th grade and then uh, went to Central Virginia for college and grad school and then moved out to Colorado 
I was married by then, and um, and we've been here for 13 years. But um, I'm sorry, your question was what what was that like? Well, the the role of of storytelling and writing in the midst of all of that, because it it almost feels like it's just an anchor in your life. The stories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think they have been, and in the beginning, it might have been the stories in the books that I was reading that served as an anchor. Mm-hmm. And they kind of also helped me to find common language with other people that I met. So I didn't go looking, actively looking for like, have you read Anne of Green Gables? Or like, have you read Lord of the Rings? But just um, over time, I find that the friends that I found and resonated with, they they grow and we find that we have these common interests or we have these common favorite books. So that's just an interesting thread that I've noticed. Um, but I think storytelling probably has been a really important influence all throughout that. And not just stories that I've read, but by this point, stories of my family. Um, I love that there's a huge language barrier between me and my grandmother. But through my mother, just in talking about her past and about the war and the experiences that she went through, it's the stories that have brought us closer together, I think, and helped me to understand her better and all the generations that came before me. So I am grateful for that. I love the idea of story-formed communities and some of the things that I study around that kind of stuff. I imagine that there's a listener right now who's thinking, gosh, I I wish I was a better storyteller. What tips or suggestions do you have for someone who wants to tell more stories or be a better writer in general? Mm. Um, I think my first tip would be to live it well, to live the story (laughs) that you're living well. Um, I think it's possible to kind of distance yourself so much from what you're going through that you don't allow yourself to fully feel what you're going through or to notice what you're fully going through. So living life, I think, as just a basic foundation um, is important to telling stories. And you mentioned communities, but I think being in communities where you can find resonance or get feedback from your peers, from whoever's Mm -hmm. listening or telling their own stories I think that helps ground us in not flying away into some like head swelling egotism about being a storyteller, but it helps us to realize that we're part of the fabric of community and that there are thousands of people around us who have their own stories. These are probably not the typical tips that people would mention, but I found them really grounding for me. And then, you know, uh, I think there's a lot of good to be had in imitating the writers and the storytellers that you respect the most, at least to get going and to find your own voice. Uh, So true confession. I I read a lot of books for podcasting, obviously, and your book is very different than most in the way that it, it reads with the, um, the language. It's Mm -hmm. very beautifully written, almost kind of poetic in some places and, um, how did you develop that kind of voice, especially in contrast to what's very popular these days, which is not this kind of um, fullness of language? Wow, thank you. Um, I think part of it might have to do with um, my academic background, having gone to grad school and you have to learn a different language there to write your papers. Then you Mm. have to unlearn it when you leave, (laughs) which is really hard. Uh, But I think the unlearning process was good for me. Um, I don't, 
I don't really know. I think uh, it just kind of comes out of you, doesn't it? It it does, and I was not comfortable for. I'm I'm still not comfortable. I think with it, but I'm I've grown maybe more resigned to it. And I think it's um, it's probably influenced in great part by a lot of the authors I love. Um, but probably what gave me the courage to actually start using it was running across other people who were speaking in their own voices and mm. being comfortable with it. Uh, and so I've had the good fortune of following authors, um, befriending authors and writers who write, who just write beautifully. I mean, I just, I wish that I could do a fraction of what they do, but, um, but they are very inspiring. Well, I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit because it's beautiful <laughs> writing. Like, like I, I, I read a lot of books and I talk to a lot of authors and there aren't many people who strive to be writers and you are clearly someone who wants to be a writer and that's different than just a, a speaker or a podcaster or Christian guru. Not that there's anything wrong with any of those people, but you're, you're a writer. Oh, thank um, you. How did you know that writing about the homeward ache was where you wanted to start? Yeah. Well, that wasn't where I wanted to start 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I want to back up very quickly and say, um, I think one part, of, one piece of advice that was really helpful to me, I want to say Andrew Peterson said it, but um, it was something about, I think, the role of an artist being to tell the truth and to tell the truth as beautifully as you can. Mm. So that is the effort behind the words that I put into this homeward ache. Um, and as for the book itself, uh, I didn't know that that was the story that I wanted to tell until about maybe seven to ten years ago. Um, and it, that came about mostly because I was starting to recognize this string of experiences in my life that I, you know, Lewis talks about, C.S. Lewis talks about this longing and how difficult it is to talk to anybody else about it because it's such a, it's such a softening influence and it feels almost embarrassing to talk about its effect on you. But I had started to come into communities um, like the Anselm Society, the Cultivating Project, the Rabbit Room, where people were talking about this kind of longing. And they were not ashamed to say, I listened to the song and I sobbed. Or I, lis I, I went up, you know, somewhere and I saw this view and it just, it just arrested me. Um, and that was so inspiring to find that there were people who resonated with that longing. And that was fine. Like, um, that was maybe all I needed, I thought. But then I heard those same people start to ask the question, what are we supposed to do with it? <laughs> do you just bottle it? You can't bottle it. You can't conjure it. And it happens to you. And is it just supposed to be something that happens and you just move on? You go back to everyday life. And I, as that question started to sink in for me, I started to think about the different ways that that longing, um, the longing which has led to, I think, a deeper longing to be at home with the Lord eventually and to look forward to his restoration of all things, that longing has branched out to affect all different areas of my life. So then I found myself wanting to offer this book as a collection of stories and essays to anybody who felt the longing so deeply, they almost felt hurt and debilitated by it. Just as a way of saying, like, you can get up and get going and, mm. and keep going. This is, I really believe this is something from the Lord and it's not something that's meant to hinder you. Um, on the way home, it's something maybe that's meant to help. 
Yeah, as, as I read about it, I certainly think of like this is it's such an incredible gift to view it that way. And one of the words that you use in the book that I'd like for you to say out loud for me mm-hmm. is S E H N S U C H T. Okay, I'm not going to do it justice, but my German friend says you got to pull out all your guttural stops <laughs> and say it's Zane Zucht. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah. Um, what would you give everyone a working definition of what that is? Yeah. Um, oh, I think other people have given some really excellent descriptions of it. It's basically a longing for a, a place that you can't get to, um, a longing for a place maybe that you haven't even been to yet, but it's such a strong pool that it's unignorable. And, um, and yeah, I think that's maybe the best. Oh, I love it. I think it's a nice example. Uh, look, I, I, sometimes I just like to pull out random words I don't know how to say mm-hmm. because as you're reading it, you're like, nope, I don't know if that's right at all. Right. So when I get a chance to talk to the author, I'm always like, okay, you say it. So that yeah. way, at least I hear it in your voice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what did you learn about God in the process of writing this? Oh, my goodness. Um, I don't know if I, it was learning so much as re- reconfirming it over and over again that um, he is so full of grace <laughs> mm. to um, to his vessels of clay. And that's what I felt like over and over again as I was writing it. I felt like I had a decent length of writing the book. I had a decent deadline that was far enough into the future that I could handle it. Um, and I knew I would need his help on the way. So there were so many little prayers where I was asking for the right phrase, the right wording um, the heart of the reader who would who would come across it, and the time that they might cro- come across it in. Um, and then um, I had about ten months to write the book, and I'd say probably the la- the second five months of that, everything just kind of fell apart at home. Um, not in terms of relationships, thankfully, but my my husband got sick, and my kids got sick, and it they were just unexpected, like not temporary. Well, not flash in the pan illnesses. Um, and then things just started to pile one thing on top of the other, and my chronic illness flared, and it, so it just felt like I was running out of time. But, mm. um, and I've I've told my friends this, but <laughs> it felt like when I crossed the finish line, it was not this triumphant entry into the um, end zone. It was more of like I fell flat on my face in front of the finish line. And I just kind of basically like inchwormed my way across it <laughs> because um, because I. It, my brain was in such a muddle at that time. I didn't. I didn't know if I was doing justice to the topics that I wanted to wrap up in those last few chapters. But then I had to trust that maybe that's how he wanted this story to go, and maybe the best thing was that I would have this testimony that he he finished it somehow, and that it it needed to be what I thought of as bare bones. But maybe that just meant I let a lot of the fluff go, and communicated clearly to the reader. So that last part is still a mystery to me. I still don't know if it will be, you know, helpful for the, for all the people that I was praying for while I was writing it. But um, that is definitely how I see that part of the journey as one that was just full of grace upon grace upon grace. Would you tell me about some of the people that you were praying for as you were writing it? Yeah. Um, in the proposal, I think I said I was writing the book for three groups of people. And the first group was 
the people who knew this longing but had no name for it, like no basis to talk about it, here's a name. Um, mm. Here's just maybe just maybe it's just enough for you to know that there's somebody else out there who feels that yearning. So that was one group of people. The second group was, I guess, um, I guess I would say Christians who understand that the longing is tied to the gospel and is given by Christ, but they want to go deeper in exploring the roots, maybe in, in thinking more about the implications uh, in faith. So that was my second group. And the third group was really um, the people who understand all of that and they, they know what the longing is, but they don't know um, how it might be able to fuel or fill out the different aspects of our lives, like parenting or writing or confession of sin or living in community. Uh, and so I guess the second part of the book, which is that collection of essays, is really for them. So those were the groups of people that I was really praying for. Hey guys, just taking a quick pause with this conversation with Amy to remind you to sign up for our newsletter. The Life and Leadership Newsletter comes out every single week, and it's designed to help you walk in life and leadership in Christ. The best way to sign up is by taking our quiz. That's right, a quiz to help determine if you're walking a life of integrity. So if that's something you're curious about or you just want to know how you score, go to our website, follow the number 2leadcoaching.com slash quiz to get signed up. There's a link in the show notes if that's easier. Sign up today. We'd love to get you on our mailing list. We're putting out stuff every single week. It's really, for me, become the primary place where I'm putting out weekly writing. So thankful for you guys. Now, without any further ado, let's finish up this conversation with Amy. One of the tensions that I know a lot of leaders face is they have to do one task at work and then come home and be all the people at home. I, I was curious about how that worked in your life, thinking about something that's so cerebral and so emotional. And then, oh, by the way, you still have kids at home who need your attention and yeah. all the things, especially it sounds like they were sick the last couple of months, or at least, you know what I mean? Like, how was that uh, whiplash for you? Um, well, I'm thankful to say there wasn't too much whiplash, I think. Um, we have the good fortune of having a good community here and friends whom we talk with pretty regularly. That was an interesting priority for me too in 2022. Like I knew I was going to write the book. I knew that my temptation was going to be to um, dig myself a hobbit hole and go into it and not talk to anybody. But um, I'd, ha I'd had enough wise voices speaking into my life to make me realize I need to keep in touch with people while I'm reading this book. So it's really gratifying to me to hear to have those close friends read the book now and say, I remember when you were going through this, or I remember mm. when you were thinking about this subject. And it's so good to see it in one uh, thread, you know, with a beginning, middle and end. Um, and so I would say, yeah, I'm thankful there wasn't really a dichotomy between, you know, the writing life and family life. I'd say, it was more like the thoughts and the ideas that I was thinking about at the desk kind of bled out into everyday life. So I would talk to my yeah. husband about it. I would um, continue to have breakfast conversations with my daughters who are at the age where they're asking really good, really deep questions where you're just like, right, let me get back to you on that. Um, but we would talk a lot about the new creation and we would talk a lot about what there is to look forward to. So... Um, and that's not to say that I wasn't difficult sometimes. Like I've now recognized that 
the stage in the writing process where I need to be alone. And all the other stages, I'm fine. You can come into the room, do whatever. You can come and ask for snack. Um, if I'm actually trying to put the words together, you know, in a, in a draft form, it, if somebody walks in the room, my concentration shatters. So <laughs> I have not been, um, we, we're, we're still working that out, but um, I'm glad to have honed in on that particular step in the writing process. That's, that's awesome. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, theologically, one of the things that happens in a book like this is that you begin to understand God's restoration and God's love differently. Um, h- how would you describe the difference before the book and after the book in your viewpoint as it comes to that topic, restoration and God's love? Yeah. It's taken on a lot more concreteness which I'm so grateful for. And that's, um, I think, the effect of really doing some of the research and reading theologians like Bob Inc. and Owen. And um, and Tim Keller pointed me to a lot of those resources, not personally, but <laughs> in his books. Um, and I think that just helped so much because probably for the first 20 years of my life as a Christian, my idea of what life with God was going to be like, is going to be like, was very nebulous and fed by a lot of different ideas. And there's not, you know, um, there's a lot of mystery that scripture leaves open for us to ponder. But, um, man, to just think about a future reality where we will have bodies that don't disintegrate and they are not sick and they don't die. They don't have pain and that they are able to spend eternity. Uh, I've been talking to my 10 year old a lot about eternity, but um, spend eternity doing the things in worship that we do in worship here. I'm, I guess I'm having the time of my, my life tying those two things together and thinking about how exhilarating that will be. Um, to recognize that so much of what we do here, it's flawed and it's broken, but it's good. And he accepts it as worship unto himself. Mm. And to think about that, like that you can cook to the glory of God, that you can eat to the glory of God and read and tell stories and write poetry and sing songs and have house concerts, all of that. Um, I think my vision of what is coming and what we have to hope for is so much more robust now. And I'm deeply grateful for that. Have you had the chance to preach this message yet? Um, in those 220-something pages? <laughs> <laughs> I just think that there's a lot of churches that would benefit from this message. Yeah, well, I'm, I've been so thankful to find I, – I, I know I'm not the only one talking about it. And so yeah. my pastor, I think, is, is talking about John 25 this Sunday at church. And um, yeah, there are a lot of people who are talking about it and waiting for it together. And that is quite a, quite a gift. As somebody who is such a, um, a devoted writer, somebody who writes a lot, how, how do you um, end one project and kind of begin the next, right? Like, cause, cause in, in the book writing process, it's much different than just blog writing where you can instantly move on to the next thing. And then that one just lives where on the words that it's, it's written on, but here now you're doing the, the, the book tour, the podcast tour, the, all the things. Um, and yet I would imagine that you haven't stopped writing. How do you manage that tension? Well, this is my first book, so I really don't have that much to say on it. But, but um, are you probably working on your second, right? 
I have not started working on a second book. I have, uh, um, I guess what I feel like are scraps, scraps of cloth. Like they're not scraps, but scraps of ideas in a, in a writing folder. Um, and so I know I get to take them out and look at it. Um, but yeah, I'm very much a rookie at this. And so, um, I think it will help me to, it's, it's helped me to wait and see this book on its way and then, um, think about turning to that. But, um, I'm also, yeah, I'm interested to see how the next, what the next project will be. I feel in a way maybe that I'm still waiting on marching orders from the Lord in a sense. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've put the question to him. I don't know that I've gotten quite a clear answer yet, but I've got little things to think about and little threads to explore and um, follow in the meantime. So we'll see where it goes. Do you uh, have a regular writing practice on, on the daily or just kind of as the Lord moves? I I guess when I have a deadline to shoot for, I'm in here, I'm, I'm by my writing desk right now, um, I'm in here probably in the early afternoons, um, but I have to be pretty flexible because I homeschool my kids and we've got, you know, things moving around on the schedule. But that seems to be the best time of day to at least try to think about things. Yeah. I don't know I, if that's I what you were asking. That. No, it's, <laughs> it's good. It's good. I, well, I, one of the things that I've t learned is that sometimes there are writers who are like, I'm going to do a 500 words a day, even if I don't know what I'm writing for uh -huh. or a thousand words a day or, yeah. um, but I appreciate kind of the go with the spirit kind of flow to <laughs> what you're, I mean, it's just realistic, right? You're homeschooling kids at the same time, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I was, um, yeah, I was reading a Christmas story once at a, we had a Christmas in Narnia party um, with the Anselm Society a few years back. And I think somebody asked me, like, when did you have time to put all this together? Like, how did you sit down and do this? And I said, most of it came together in the shower. <laughs> like, and I do, I forgot to mention that. That is pretty true that I don't know what it is about, like, maybe just having that expectation that nobody's going to come bother you, ideally. Um, and you get to think. And I think it's really the thinking space that I tend to end up needing more than time to just write down 500 words. I need space to develop whatever those 500 words are going to say. So um, that is quite a balance um, when you need to have 1,500 words by a certain date. Uh, but it's something that I'm learning to work towards and also be comfortable with, as you said, if things don't work out as you plan. Yeah. Yeah. As you and I talk, the book has been out um, for just over a month. Mm -hmm. um, how has it felt to have your first book out into the wilderness? Oh, terrifying. <laughs> uh, terrifying, but also hopeful. Like you're hopeful that it will find its way to the readers that it was written for. You, um, I've been also bracing myself for a long time for, you know, any of the words that people have the right to share about um, how it didn't resonate with them if, if that's not what they were looking for. Um, but it does feel does feel like you you're kind of releasing a little nestling and you you've got to you've got to let it go you've got to let it you know find its own way and flutter away um but i've been grateful for conversations that i've had with other writers where we were talking about well what matters to you most does it matter that thousands and millions of people are impacted by this work or if it's an act of obedience right 
maybe the Lord meant for you to reach one person. Mm. Um, and if that's the case, then there's high honor in that, in that act that you get to serve someone. Um, and so, one really great gift that I had was I had a very early reader that I didn't even know I had because um, it was through um, my agent, I think. Someone wrote me a letter, and it was the kindest letter telling me how the book had met her and how it had made an impact. And I got that letter, and I still think this about the letter, but I thought, that's it? Like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, not I'm done, but like, I, I'm, out. I'm right. grateful. Yeah, it was just, um, maybe that's, yeah, I can write on that for a long time. Like, just that, ah, oh, that thankfulness of, of getting to do that for somebody. And so um, I try to remember that these days, too. My podcast family loves to pray. And I'm wondering what prayer can we give to accompany this book as it makes its way into more and more hands? Mm. I would be really grateful that this book reaches the readers that it was meant for, that it was written for, and that it would, through the stories and through the atmosphere that the stories are trying to give, um, help them to accept and to return a deeper love for God. Mm. Yeah. That's beautiful. Uh, okay, I have one more question for you. Okay. Uh, but before I ask it, I know that the podcast fam is going to want to connect with you all over the interwebs. Where is the best th- place to learn all things Amy? Uh, yeah, I have a website at amybeckley.com, A-M-Y-B as in boy, A-I-K-L-E-E.com. And then probably social media-wise, I'm most active on Instagram, and that's the same handle. And so we'll link to both of those in the show notes. And it's uh, beautiful writing on Instagram and lots of pictures of your garden, I think. Is that your garden that I it think? It's my garden, yeah. It's beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's... um. It's been, that's been quite an adventure too, living in Colorado. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. The last question I always love to ask people, it's an advice question. I'm going to ask you to go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, except I get to name the season of life that you're in. Ooh. Okay. So I want to take you back to um, the day after you finished your master's degree. And so you... You're this young budding writer and you know that the world is ahead of you and you just finished this incredible uh, educational journey and and now you're going to unlearn academic writing and begin to pick up the writing that we know uh, today. If you could go back in time and sit knee to knee with that younger version of yourself, look her in the eyes and hold her hand, what's the one thing you're going to tell her about the journey that lies before her? <laughs> okay. Oh, well, I would probably take her by the hand and say, brace yourself, because (laughs) by the end of the year, you're going to have a baby on the way, and your husband will not have a job, and uh, and he'll be doing a nationwide job search that will take you to Colorado. But um, I think the key thing I would say to her is, God is going to be your wild card. Mm. Don't cut him out of the equation in your your imaginings of what life might be, um, and he will always bring about you catastrophes. I don't know if you're familiar with that word from Tolkien. I'm not. It's a wonderful word where he 
He just used it as a way to describe that turn, that sudden turn in stories where everything feels like it's going wrong and it's just going downhill. But there's a sudden turn of joy and of hope that signals the ending is not going to be dire. It's going to be a happy ending. Hmm. So, um, yeah, to count on, yeah, God is going to be your wild card and he is a God of you catastrophe. That's so beautifully stated. I love that. Uh, Amy, thank you so much for the generosity of time today. Thank you for your spirit and for the words that you've given us. Uh, I, I can't wait to see what God gets from you next. Thank you so much. What a great conversation. I just love her heart for words. I love her heart for sharing her story. And the way that she writes is so beautifully done. She truly is uh, an author and strives to work hard to be a good one. So, hey, follow Amy on Instagram. Let her know that you heard her here on the podcast. Let her know how much you appreciated the conversation. She's really pouring herself out on this stuff. So it's, it's important that we support artists. I believe that. Well, guys, I'm thankful for you, for this community. If you have any feedback for me, I'm embarrassingly easy to find at TWMilt, at T-W-M-I-L-T. Instagram, LinkedIn, all the places. Thank you guys for continuing to walk with me as we do what we do. And as always, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.